Amen. Friends, have a seat. Uh, as you do so, you, you might just put your hand on your Bible, uh, whether it looks like a, a book or like this morning. I've got my Bible. I'm not going to open it up, but I'll be turning it on. Uh, actually, we'll be in several places, but kind of the main scripture this morning is in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So you might like to go ahead and open it up there as we kind of finish out this uh, loose sermon series I've been calling Now We Wait. Um, just a couple words about uh, the Bible you have in front of you, whether it's on the screen, on your screen, or in your book, it's not a book. <laughs> I st- it still trips me up. I've been doing this for years. still call it a book. Not a book. Not the good book. The Great Library. It's a collection of books written over a long period of time by a lot of different people in different contexts, cultures, different languages even, on different continents. And, and that's just kind of an objective statement about the Bible. But we also believe here, I need you to know that um, we believe that there's no other library like this one on earth that God really did breathe his life onto these pages as he says he has. He inspired the, the authors as they wrote the words. He inspired the minds and the hearts of the characters as they lived the stories that the words contain. And, and he stitched all of those differences across generations and languages and continents into one unified story that leads to Jesus Christ. I really do believe that the Bible is inspired, eternal, and true. You might not be at that place in your faith yet. That's okay. I'm so glad that you're here and you're joining us this morning. I just want to be as truthful about the truth as I can be as I, as I speak from it and, and testify to it this morning. I believe the Bible is inspired, eternal, and true. And, and out of that conviction, I've taken the habit of uh, holding it up on Sunday mornings when I come to speak from it. And it might look kind of weird. Uh, you see phones and book. Dadgummit, I did it again. Bibles, libraries in the air. And uh, think, oh, that's just kind of odd. But... Um, you know, we claim that here at First Methodist Church. It is odd. And what I've discovered over years of doing this at different churches, and this one especially, is that this is a moment of oddity that has the power to shape our identity as a community. So we seek to be a collection of people who are joyfully abandoned to his word, eager for an encounter with Jesus. We're all about that here at First Methodist Church and desperate for the Holy Spirit to speak a word into our lives this morning. So before I say anything else, because that's what's happening here, why don't we pray that that same Holy Spirit who inspired these words, would open our minds to hear them. Let's pray. Almighty God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would soften our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our eyes to receive the word you have for us this morning. And let it not just land in a place, of, of, uh, a place where we can just remember it or, or, or memorize it, but, but help your lesson become lived in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Now we wait. This sermon series that we've been kind of going through, reminding us that every year we come to this Advent time, and, and it's really a, a season of life and a season of our church calendar and a reminder every year that inspires us to wait. And that's kind of oxymoronic, isn't it? To be inspired to wait, because when I, when I think of inspiration, or, or when we think of it generally, it's like, okay, go and do. And I'm inspired to, you know, vacuum the floor today, so you go and you do it, right? Or, or I'm inspired to, to eat at a certain restaurant, or you know what I mean? Inspiration is something that happens right away, but, but waiting is kind of the opposite of that. It's, it's sitting and maybe contemplating or, or delaying some sort of gratification. So it's ironic that this Advent season inspires us 
to wait. And what we do is we look back on, on past characters, brothers and sisters in the Bible, and, and learn from their life as they expected Jesus the first time, so we expect Jesus the second time. And how is it that we can wait and be prepared for his coming again? And so a few weeks ago, kind of big picture, what we need to know about waiting is that God's plan always comes through. God's plan always comes through. It will always hold up. So our, our small part in, in God's plan holding up is holding on. <laughs> if you will just hold on, his plan will hold up. Sometimes his delay is his design to give you something better. We said that a few weeks ago. Last week we asked, that's, we asked the question, well, that's God's part. He always holds it up. He always makes it come through. Um, and he always uses it for your good. But what's our part in that? Well, we're like Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, where uh, he was made mute, and, uh, and he had to figure out how to live life as a mute person for nine months and eight days. And uh, he didn't just sit there. He finished his temple duties first off after he was made mute, and, and he figured out how to communicate with his writing tablet. And those were just little tiny cues, but what we realize and we learn from him is that we need to do what we can while God does what he will, right? Whatever that littleness is, if it's just learning to use a writing tablet or finishing your week of duties or however big it might be, do what you can while God does what he will. That's what we do with the way. But now, today's a kind of unique situation because it's Christmas Eve morning, <laughs> I've had to be weird about how I talk about these two services for a month, and I'll be happy when it doesn't happen again for seven years or whatever it's going to be. But we have two services this morning, and it's Christmas Eve, and, and, and we find ourselves, usually the fourth Sunday of Advent is at least a day or several days you know, ahead of actual Christmas Eve, so there's, there's several days of preparation. But here we're in this unique situation I'm going to point out for you that we're literally hours away from the end of the wait. We're hours away from the end of Advent. And we don't usually come together and celebrate being hours away from the end of Advent. And, and it makes me think about some other situations when I've been hours away from a big moment in my life. Uh, like an interview I did once with, with the church. And um, if I knew then what I know now about myself, it would have gone much better. But about seven years ago, one thing that I knew about myself even then was that I liked coffee. And so to prepare for this big interview, the biggest kind of interview and thing that I've ever, I had ever done to my life up to that point. I went to a coffee shop for a few hours and drank coffee. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I know physiologically my body is, reacts to stress in certain ways and anxiety and, and worry and fear. And so that was already going because of the gravity of the moment. But adding coffee to that, of course, just accentuated everything about that. And the interview, let me just tell you, it was terrible. Y'all didn't know me then, but it was terrible. And it was embarrassing. And uh, it, it, believe it or not, it just really didn't go well. But that stress, those hours before the big moment, right? And I promise, Carson and Connor, I didn't know y'all were going to be here this morning, but my next example is getting married, right? <laughs> getting married. Because um, I remember some of you guys and women, you, you've been, you had dated for at least months, probably years, and in preparation for, for marriage, you, 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 you did everything, you did the counseling, you, you knew that the Yes was certain, but then still some of you guys stood there up here right in front of the altar table and you looked at that door and you asked the question, well, what if she's not behind it? Or she's on the other side of it and asked, well, what if he's not behind it? It's that stress, it's that fear in the final, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, you've already been asking yourself, that's right. But it's that stress and that fear, that anxiety that comes hours before the big moment. And this morning, you know, 
the end of Advent of 2023 isn't a big interview and it isn't a wedding, okay? But it is something. And still in the hours before the end of the big, uh, the, the hours before the end of the wait is, is something that you, you, start to, you start to change how you feel and that stress, that anxiety, that fear starts to crop up in you. Like, um, like some of you might have thought this morning, man, I've got cookies in the oven, I've got a ham to bake, I've got uh, gifts to wrap or buy, God forsake, but you know, it's like I've got all these things on my plate going, and now I've got two church services today? That, that's, that's an attitude of fear and stress and, and anxiety. Or you're preparing to go see family tonight or tomorrow, and, and you're making a game plan about, okay, how do I have the right kind of conversation with this person I don't like? Or how do I just avoid a conversation with that person altogether? That's a position of, of like fear and anxiety and stress in the hours before the end. Or, or maybe it's like work. Maybe it's like work and, and you know you've got this time to take off, you've been given, you've earned it from your position, and uh, there's only a few days left, and it's a holiday season, but if you're not at work, things won't go right. So you, you better work, and, and you sacrifice some family time maybe for, for your work time, and, and that's a position of those hours before the end, that fear, that anxiety, that stress. Well, this morning, I'm, I, I have the lesson for you right off the bat the bottom line as we then kind of look through scripture and see how that is true based on scripture. And it's this, that you should know there's no room for fear in those who wait in love. No room at all. Zero room for fear, zero room for worry, zero room for anxiety in those who wait in love. And the Bible and the New Testament is so emphatic about that. I'm excited to see that with you this morning, but we see it first in one of our uh, biblical brothers in the Christmas story. His name, can I introduce you to him, was Joseph. Have you heard of Joseph before? Poor Joseph. He's not talked about very much in Luke, in the Christmas story that Luke tells, but in Matthew, he kind of gets the prime role. He's the main character in Matthew's telling of the Christmas story. And uh, we'll see in a second that that's, that's intentional by Matthew for, for a reason. But um, his story starts in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And many of you have heard this story before. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So just a few things about this first verse. We have to understand that marriage and engagement... Uh, 2,000 years ago in Joseph and Mary's world was a kind of a different gravity than it is today. Um, the, the best way I've, I've seen this or, or read this is that uh, if, if a couple was engaged, like Mary and Joseph, and Joseph were to die, Mary would be considered a widow, okay? So we don't really have that kind of strong of a thinking. We might, we might think, oh, you know, that uh, his fiance, you know, she lost the love of his life, and that's not anything less than highly significant, okay? But we don't call them or think of them or treat them like a widow. But in a technical way and in, in all other ways, Mary would be a widow if Joseph were to die during their engagement. So there, you kind of sense how that adds a gravity of, 
of the level of commitment that it takes. And, and there was probably a dowry had already been exchanged. And if there was a bride price, that stuff had already been exchanged. Money had changed hands. But yet, Mary and Joseph probably never had a moment alone together yet. So it's just weird. It's, it's, a, it's a different context and a different way to think about marriage. But that explains some of the language that your Bible will use in Matthew 1 describing their marriage, where they say divorce, but they're not actually married yet. So that because it's got that gravity, it has some sort of legal ramification to re exchange those things that have already been exchanged. You see what I'm saying? So there's that gravity of their relationship. And the other part here is that Matthew gives us a clue, the readers a clue, about what's going on here at the end of the verse, that Mary had become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph didn't know this yet. He's about to find out from the angel, but he he didn't know this yet. So all that Joseph would come to know is that his fiance and with the gravity involved that I just described, his fiance was pregnant, apparently had been stepping out on him or something. I mean, this is the only thing he could have possibly thought. And so the, the, the punishment for this in Old Testament law was extraordinarily strict, but really unlikely that they would have held to the law to that degree. But still, Joseph has an opportunity here to go and to say, look, and to distance himself from the situation and say, I'm not a part, she did this. And I'm not a part of this, but look carefully what he does in the next verse 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. I love the the rhythm of the NLT there, how it, it says didn't want to disgrace her publicly, but decided to break the engagement quietly. The public and the quiet kind of contrast each other there. And uh, what we see is that Joseph is righteous. In other words, he wants to do what God commands. And and the righteous part of this is choosing to divorce her. That was the right thing to do for him. But also we learn that Joseph is is a person of of high integrity and character and mercy and kindness. As he decides, I have to divorce her because he's righteous. He has to follow the, the law, right? But he doesn't have to make a fool out of her. And he doesn't have to take up this opportunity he has to publicly say, she did this, right? By, by quietly doing it, he's giving something up himself by, by not publicly declaring, I'm not a part of this. So Joseph is this character that's both righteous and, and full of kindness and full of mercy. And so he, con- he continues, Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. As Joseph considered this, and I'll, I'll, that word considered... Uh, only happens a couple times in the New Testament. Considered it, it comes with a gravity of, of, uh, of re, uh, resolve. Really, it's that Joseph had resolved to do this. He'd, he'd chosen, he was thinking about it, he was on his way, he was actively, but he'd resolved. It was a kind of a done deal in his mind. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Read carefully right there. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. If you mark in your Bible, maybe just underline that sentence. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So now Joseph gets to find out what the reader already knows. He's finding it out right now. Uh, the, The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And now Matthew takes a step out of the story, narrates to us, again, the reader, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. So we get a picture of maybe why Matthew wanted to focus on the Joseph part of the story here, because he's trying to show how Jesus fulfills this part of the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, verse 23, 
She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Verse 24, continuing back into the story. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until, he was until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. There's another great contrast in this story between what Joseph considered and what God commanded. Did you, did you pick that up? Joseph considered he was resolved to do the thing. He was going to solve the problem on his own. That's kind of like us with the church. Like, okay, I, I don't have time for two church services today, so I'm going to resolve to go to only one of them or, or whatever. And there's plenty of great reasons to only go to one service. I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody, okay? But I'm just saying that might be someone's thinking, and that would be my thinking if I didn't have to be here, okay? <laughs> or you're resolved to just avoid the person that you don't want to talk with in your family, or you're resolved to work because no one else can handle it. But what Joseph considered comes in direct contrast with what God commanded. And looking at this angel encounter, we see, of course, it starts with this theme of don't be afraid, which happens in every angel encounter in both Matthew and Luke. But Joseph stands out for a reason, because consider this. Zechariah, when he encountered the angel, the angel said, don't be afraid, and in parentheses implied, of me, of this experience that you're having right now. And the same thing happened with Mary. Don't be afraid of this experience, of me, of this moment that's happening right in front of you. The shepherds, the same thing. Don't be afraid. I know it's a that dazzling light, that God, God's glory is shining on you, but don't be afraid of it, of this thing that's happening right here, right now. But Joseph's fear stands different. Did you catch that? That's why I asked you to underline it. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid, not of me, of this situation, but do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And here we see, maybe God knows something that we didn't quite pick up in the first reading that Joseph's reaction here to divorce her and to do it even quietly, though it looks good, it sounds noble, and it's kind and merciful, still was a reaction out of fear, out of stress, out of some sort of anxiety. And the angel's message here is to come and say, don't fear taking her as your wife. You see, he did as the Lord commanded, and the command was don't fear taking her as your wife, not don't fear me as the angel, and not named Jesus because it says he already did what the Lord commanded before the baby was born. He did what the Lord commanded. He did not fear to take Mary as his wife. It's true that there's no room for fear in those who wait in love. First John chapter 4 says this, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Once again, I love the NLT reading of this. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. That's John and his lesson about fear. Here's one from Paul. You know this one, Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Or if you need a lesson from Jesus himself, he teaches that anyone know where? It's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, it's a long portion of the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm just reading kind of the end of it here in verse 31 and 32. So don't worry, this is Jesus speaking, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Anybody asking those questions yesterday? <laughs> 
as we went to the grocery store, it's just like, yeah, we were asking it. Don't worry about those things. Verse 32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. In these final hours, building up to the end of the wait, don't we sit in fear and anxiety and stress and worry? And this great biblical lesson is that fear has no place in those who wait in love. I read these lessons, and the first part of each one of them is, actually feels kind of empty when I read them. Um, it's kind of like a friend that if, if you're telling about your life and, and you're feeling bad and you need, you need some help or you need someone to, to, to support you, and, and they say, it's going to be okay, and they pat you on the shoulder, you know, and never even follow up with you or anything. Like, don't worry, everything's going to work out. That's kind of an empty thing to say. Do, do you feel that? Has someone told you that before? Or maybe, maybe you've been the one telling others that before. But I praise the Lord that in each of these lessons, each of these authors and the Holy Spirit inspires a follow-up. Not just don't worry, but here's, here's an example or a thing you can do to not worry. So back to Matthew, what Jesus was saying, because this is the next verse. He says, don't worry, but instead do this. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Paul follows up, and we already read in verse 6, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Be thankful about all things. But he follows up to a couple verses later, verse 8, with this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true, what's honorable, what's right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace, that unexplainable peace that doesn't make sense to us. And that's exactly how we know it's God's. Then God will be with you. By the way, Jesus kind of does this too. He gives the same advice from Philippians to the readers or the hearers on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Think about the wildflowers. <laughs> what's good and what's excellent, what's beautiful and perfect and true. Think about those things. God provides for them. Think about the sparrows. God provides for them. Won't he also provide you everything that you need? And then, of course, 1 John chapter 4, again, where, where we started. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love others because he loved us first. We love others because he loved us first. Friends, there's no room for fear in those who wait in love. One, one more thing I want to point out here. This is my own word. Put the bottom line up one more time, Mike. That I capitalize the word love. Capital L-O-V-E. Because there's this unique moment that happens in Scripture, again in 1 John. We're, 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 the Holy Spirit inspires John with this knowledge that, that's so good for us to have that God is not loving. He is love. It's not that he's got a loving nature or that his character is loving or that he's full of love. All those things sound really great, don't they? But one order of magnitude beyond that, John says, God is love. He is love. He's not like the thing. He is the thing. God is love. There's no room for fear 
for those who wait in love and in our Lord. The hours before the big finish is coming. That's what we remember in Advent, this long wait. This morning we get this unique opportunity to be a part of this hours-long wait before we come and, and worship and finish it tonight. And don't do so in fear and anxiety and stress. But take the lessons of Paul and John and Jesus and Joseph, that his command is better than your consideration, that, that your plan and your resolve to fix something yourself will never stand against God's command and God's plan. His plan will hold up if you will just hold on, if you will do what you can while he does what he will, if you will wait with thankfulness in prayer and set your mind on the good things of life that he's offered to you, if you wait in righteousness and seek the kingdom of God, then fear and all this fear, all this anxiety today and tomorrow, you will be amazed at how that just fades away. You'll be so amazed because what you'll be doing is you'll be living in love, capital L. You'll be living in God and there's no room for fear for those who live in love. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are so thankful for this lesson that is so ubiquitous, so constant through the scriptures that we are powerless, but because of you, we're never helpless. And so we pray that you would help us in these hours as we wait for the end of Advent or wait for our holiday celebration coming up, perhaps a wedding or an interview or work or whatever it is. God, help us to wait in love, in that perfect love, so that we can love others because you first loved us, so that that love will cast out all fear, all anxiety and stress. And our weight will be complete, not in our own power, but in yours. All this we pray in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus Christ. And let the church say, amen.